This morning, the uh, gospel reading is Luke chapter 15, and you'll find that on page 78 in your pew Bible if you want to follow along. Now, uh, this morning, uh, Pastor Lee has arranged her sermon so that we'll, we'll read from the Bible in segments, and, uh, and we'll, we'll alternate here. So um, I'll start off, and Pastor Lee will continue. Now, all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told told them this parable. Actually, Jesus tells three parables to the grumbling Pharisees and scribes. The first one is about a shepherd who had a flock of 100 sheep. One day he counts his flock and discovers that one sheep is missing. He goes in search of that lost sheep, and when he finds it, he comes home and invites his friends and neighbors to rejoice with him. Jesus ends the parable by saying, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. The second parable is very similar, only this time it's a woman who counts, not sheep, but a collection of 10 silver coins. When she discovers that one of those coins is missing, she turns her house inside out in search of that lost coin. And when she finds it, she also calls her friends and neighbors together to rejoice with her. And Jesus says, just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus then goes on to tell a third parable which is also about something that is lost and found. However, as we will see, this parable is a little different from the others. It's also a very familiar story, and so I encourage you to listen to it, to do the best you can to listen to it, as if you have never heard it before. It starts out like this. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself to be in need, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have I have bread enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger? I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to be with his father. There was a man who had two sons. It's a classic opening to many a tale. And as author and theologian Dr. Amy Jill Levine points out, Having heard the previous two parables, it's pretty easy to figure out that one of the sons is going to be lost and that the father is going to be worried about him. And that is exactly what happens. 
The younger son goes to his father and asks for his share of the father's property that he will inherit upon his father's death. Contrary to what we usually think, Dr. Levine says that the son's actions would not seem unusual to Jesus' hearers. What would have caught their attention is the term younger son. Because in the Jewish scriptures that we call the Old Testament, as well as in many European fairy tales, the younger son is the one to go with. Think of Adam's son, Cain and Abel. Think of Abraham's sons, Ishmael and Isaac. Think of uh, Isaac's son, Esau and Jacob. Think of David, the youngest of all of Jesse's sons. In all of these stories, it is the younger son who is favored by God. I also suspect that some of those who are listening to Jesus could personally identify with the experience of the younger son, Aside from the fact that the older son stood to inherit the bulk of his father's estate, younger children often live in the shadow of their older siblings. This is especially true if that older sibling is a child who does well in school and never causes trouble and who sometimes acts more like a parent than a sister or brother. This is speaking as the older child here. It's normal for younger children to feel resentful, to want to get out from others' expectations, to be seen not as someone's sibling, but as a person in one's own right. Some of you probably know how this feels too. What is a little surprising here is the father's willingness to give his son what he wants. You'd think that he would rebuke his son for making such a request. You know, you better wait. What's your hurry? But then hmm, parents are inclined to be a little more lenient with their younger children. We tend to, at least from my experience, we tend to impose fewer rules um, to give in a little easier, whether that is wise or not. So when you come right down to it, the father is in some ways to blame for the action of the younger son. I mean, what did he expect his son to do with all that money? What the younger son does is to take off for a distant country and to spend all of his inheritance in what the King James Version of the Bible calls riotous living. You can imagine. Like many young person who is on his or her own for the first time, the son does not plan ahead. Instead, he wants to do it all, see it all, have fun now. And he does. But then disaster strikes. This distant country is overwhelmed by a severe famine. Having used all his resources, the son is forced to find a job, any job, and he ends up taking care of pigs. Normally we see this as a disgrace for a Jew because Jews are forbidden to eat the unclean flesh of pigs. But Dr. Levine, who is herself Jewish, says that the issue here is not ritual uncleanliness. After all, the young man doesn't eat the pigs, he just feeds them. The issue here is the real possibility of starvation. But when he came to himself, I love that phrase. When he came to himself, when the young man wakes up to the reality of his situation, no money, no food, no one to take care of him, no hope, he begins to think about what he's left behind. Hmm, 
how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. He is lost, and he knows it. And so he comes up with a plan. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. Can't you just imagine him practicing the speech over and over again as he walks along miles home, trying to get it just right? Is he sincerely repentant? I have my doubts. <laughs> Even though he has decided to be just a hired hand, he still has plans to begin his speech with the word father. He still thinks of himself as his father's son. And to be very cynical about it, he also knows that dad has money. And maybe he can get some more, especially if he says the right thing. David Buttrick summarizes this, his strategy this way, I will go to daddy and sound religious. Your choice as to whether you think he really means it or not. The question is, how will the father respond to the plea of this wayward son? Let's listen. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran out and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this is the son of mine, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. While the son is still far off, his father sees him. He's been watching. He's been waiting. He's been praying. He's been hoping. And he sees him. Finally, he sees him, and he is filled with compassion. Abandoning all dignity, he runs to his son and embraces him, tears streaming down his face. He takes absolutely no notice of his son's careful speech, nor does he care about his sincerity or that he stinks of pig. All this father thinks about, all this father cares about is that his child has come home. He commands his servants to dress this son of mine in the best robe, to put sandals on his dirty feet and a ring on his finger, and then to make a feast. Let us eat and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. A happy ending. Ah, but the story isn't over yet. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard the music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked them what was going on. He replied, your brother has, been, has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you, and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you've never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. 
But when the son of yours came back, he has devoured your property with prostitutes, and you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and, and that is mine, and what is mine is yours. But I had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has now been found. The party is in full swing when the elder son returns home from working in the fields. Again, Dr. Levine points out something we sometimes miss. She says, they had enough time to call the caterer and the band, but no one called the elder son. The man forgot to count his two sons. Instead, the elder son must ask a slave to tell him what is going on. And when he hears the answer, he is filled with anger and resentment. And honestly, I don't blame him. He's the responsible son, the good son, the one who's followed on the rules, and yet he has been left out. His irresponsible brother has been restored to his place at his father's side with a lavish party. Where does that leave the elder brother? Where is his place at the table? He hasn't left home, but it seems to have left him, and he is just as lost as his brother was. Once again, the father opens his arms to welcome a son home. He comes out and tries to convince the elder son to come in, but that son will not accept that welcome. Instead, he unleashes all his resentment and lashes out, not at his brother, but at his father. For all these years, I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you haven't even given me so much as a young goat to celebrate with my friends. You've taken me for granted. But when this son of yours, not my brother, but this son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. You have played favorites. Father does his best to calm and console his child. Son, beloved child, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. You can hear the plea underlying it all. Please come, let yourself be found too. The story ends there. We are not told whether or not the elder son comes into the party or what happens after that. Nor does Jesus finish the parable with the words about repentance and welcome as he did the other parables. As we all know, this parable is usually called the parable of the prodigal son. The word prodigal means wasteful lavish, recklessly extravagant. And when I talk about this parable, I usually apply that word not to the younger son, but to the love of the father who crosses his threshold not once but twice and who wanted both sons, obedient and not so obedient, by his side at the celebration. The love of the father is the extravagant, lavish, prodigal love of God a love that seeks us when we are lost and celebrates when we are found. 
And I still believe that this is a valid and beautiful way to interpret this parable. This time around, however, I reminded that Jesus has already made this point about God's welcome and God's grace with the parables about the sheep and the coin that were lost and found, which leads me to Monmouthie's saying something else with the third parable. I'm wondering if he's saying to the Pharisees and the scribes who complain about his welcome of sinners, beloved children, all that God has is yours. And welcoming these others does not lessen God's love for you. But we have to celebrate and rejoice because these brothers and sisters of yours were dead and have come to life. They were lost and have been found. Please come to the party. So where does that leave us? Perhaps as parables are meant to do with more questions than answers. Dr. Levine offers several avenues for us to explore, and I'll just name a couple of them. We might, she suggests, go back to the older brothers in Scripture and remember that though Cain is not forgiven for his brother's murder, God enables him to remain a member of the human family, provides for him, sees that he has a wife. And that when Abraham dies, Ishmael and Isaac bury their father together. And that in the end, Esau and Jacob are reconciled. Maybe, she says, when we read this parable, we should ask ourselves whom we have written out. Or maybe, Dr. Devine suggests, the parable is about counting. The father has two sons, and he forgot to count. And that raises questions for us. How do we ensure that every child is loved and has our attention? How do we make sure that all people feel counted and that we are counting them, not just to count them, but for their human worth? How do we count others as individuals, every one of whom counts? I might put it this way. Will we accept God's welcome? And will we offer that same welcome to others? Will we join the party? The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen.